1: Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
2: For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast
0: access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us
2: Hi, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, today, I'm joined by Sarah Ellison. We're talking about the topic of the day, which is Marshall Yanda's retirement. Sarah, how you doing?
4: Good. It's been it's been a while, Ken. We haven't talked for a while since the season ended, so it's good to be back.
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, so the last one was not a good one, right? We did that the Tennessee <laughs> after the Tennessee game, talking both uh, sobbing into yes, our sheets did. there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so now we've got uh, some additional bittersweet news to talk about. And, uh, you know, I thought we'd start this off with a discussion of what happened in the press conference today, because there's a lot of interesting things. I know you have notes on that. So why don't you take us kind of through that to, to start the program?
4: Well, the, the first thing when you look at the presser, the first thing that stands out is here comes Marshall Yonda, this big, massive guy. And you can already see. He told us he lost 45 pounds. So that's the first thing that's striking. He said he's always wanted to lose weight. If you know offensive linemen, they just have to eat and eat and eat and be in that weight room to keep that weight up. And so he lost 45 pounds. And then he walks into this um, massive uh, auditorium, a new auditorium that the Ravens have. And that thing is packed. Uh, There were several people that commented that they're not sure that they've ever seen it so full. Uh, many people from the organization, um, a lot of current and former uh, teammates of his were there. Joe Flacco was there. Uh, Matthew Skura, who's going through his own uh, rehab, was there. Lot- lots of guys there to 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 honor him. Um, the the big question on everybody's mind is is why retire now? Right? He's still playing at a Hall of Fame level. Um obviously, the Ravens, you you I mean, you never know till the season starts, but you think that they're easily playoff contenders. Obviously, they want to be Super Bowl contenders and uh, and he's healthy. But for him, he said it was um extremely important to him that he walks away from the game when he's playing well. He said that mattered a lot to him. He saw a lot of other guys almost get run out. Um, his love for the game is still there. He said it's there, but but it started to become where, he didn't want to sacrifice his health and his family to keep chasing blindly, is what he said, chasing blindly uh, the game. Um, so the Ravens announced that he will very soon, they don't have an exact date, will be uh, inducted into the Ring of Honor, which is no surprise. And then finally, he was, you know, he was asked, you know, how would you define your career? And he said three words, and I'm sure you would agree with this, uh, Ken, embrace the grind. So it it was just, you know, it's it's not a shame. I mean, I get it. He likes to avoid the spotlight because he believes in humility. Uh, He wants other people to get credit. But when he speaks, you are just taken aback. That was one of the best retirement speeches uh, I've ever heard. It was absolutely excellent. He was well-prepared. He had stuff written out. He delivered it well. It was impactful. And so for me, it was just, I just selfishly wish that we could have heard from him more because he was so impactful and had so many great lessons. So for anybody that missed it, it is well worth going back and listening to. I'm,
2: I'm certainly going to do, do that. Uh, there are two things that really strike me about what you said. The first was the loss of 45 pounds. First mm-hmm. of all, anybody who's tried to lose weight before, as I have, uh, knows it takes a while to lose 45 pounds. So <laughs> yes, it he, does. He did not just. He, he's had this in his mind since the end of the season. It sounds like to me, because if he's lost 45 pounds even in 60 days, and that's when the season ended. Yeah. Yeah, you know, 60 days ago. He
4: said. He said he's been on his wife's Peloton and in the sauna, so that's uh-huh. that's what he's been doing, and it's just been clearly melting off.
2: Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I know the first pounds are, generally speaking, the easiest, but that is a lot of weight loss for that period. I, it's not a healthy amount of weight loss, I wouldn't think. But, you know, it's Marshall Yonder, so I'm sure he's 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 an athlete he and he's treating doing. his body as well. Yeah, so that that strikes me as, as it's, it's never an option. And now the, the second part of that is he will not be able to recover that weight and get into game shape if for some reason he changes his mind. This is a permanent decision. He's, there's not an option Correct. that they'd bring him back for the Super Bowl or for a playoff run later this later this season.
4: Correct. I mean, Marshall Yonda is not the type of guy that strikes me as a guy that goes back and forth and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, changes his mind over and over again. So that, I mean, and so I guess the 45 pounds um, is just indicative of that. I mean, he's, he's not going to change his mind. He didn't have a lot of plans for post-retirement. He said he wanted to take it one day at a time. He wants to see the way he's going to respond because football has been his whole life. Mm -hmm. And so for right now, they're staying in Baltimore while their kids finish up their school year. Then they plan on moving back to Iowa. And his first plan is to go back to the family farm and help his dad out on the family farm. And then he wants to see how much he misses football. Uh, But it sounded more like, you know, he would get into coaching, not like come back. But he did say at one point, he said... When he started losing the weight. But he did slip in there that he felt like if he needed to gain it back, he could. <laughs> All right. Well,
3: we'll see
2: if that comes. I mean, I just I just I can't help but think the Ravens have an injury or two and they need a guard desperately. And they're, you know, otherwise in position to make a run. You You know, why not? (laughs) So uh, we'll we'll see about something like that. But it it sounds to me like it's it it would be a fairly prohibitive effort to put that weight back on And, and putting on a lot of weight like that would be very difficult in terms of having it be good weight. If you put it on quickly right. like that, I would think. Right. So, you know, much as you work in the weight room and whatnot, he's he's talking about adding body fat mostly um, uh, for for those initial pounds. Um, the other point you made that I want to just discuss there was leaving at the top of the game because mm-hmm. Marshall says he wanted to leave and he'd seen other players run out. Well, basically that's every other NFL player. There's almost no NFL player who, Literally, the team, other players, the fans are begging him to come back when he retires. Come back.
4: Well, the only other raven that I can think of that I felt like retired when he had many years ahead of him was Jonathan Ogden. Now, he did have that toe, but I remember explicitly Ozzie Newsome being like, man, this guy, he could have kept going. Um But but he chose not to. But really, I can't think of many others that it was like, uh, you know, playing at that high of a level and and said goodbye.
2: I mean, Lewis was playing a very high level one year removed from his retirement. His last year he actually played pretty poorly and he was terrible during the playoff run, despite a a high tackle total. But, you know, Mm he 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 made a final three play impact on that beginning on second and five for the 49ers down on the the goal line, where it was one of the greatest exits ever from the game. But we still, we knew it was the right time for Ray to move on from Ray at that point. Ed Reed, when he left. There
4: were so many times, there were so many times with Ray. I remember watching some games on TV and you'd see a tackle being made, the Ravens defense making a tackle. And then after the tackle, then you saw Ray running into the TV picture, you know, because he just, he had lost. He had lost a couple of steps, but I totally agree that that exit, because that veteran, that veteran mentality in a in a crunch time like that was absolutely essential in, in stopping the 49ers. It was
2: it was great. I mean, he realigned a player to set up one play. He they had a a very complex clear out route set up uh, where he had to cover Frank Gore as the fourth man through an area, and he knew exactly where to be on the thing. And then on the final, uh, you know, Ellerbe's pressure. Uh, that that uh, made the game-winning pass offline. You know, the one that that where uh, uh, coverage was coverage from Jimmy Smith on that play. Who had yeah, coverage yeah. Of, yeah Jimmy Smith? Um, it, but but it was it was Ellerby's pressure was set up by Suggs fanning out the the uh, the left tackle Staley and uh, Lewis crossing the face of the left guard Ayapati, who who blocked incorrectly on Lewis and allowed uh, Ellerby the free run at uh, at Kaepernick to force completion incompletion so mm. just a an incredible string of events at Reed I, I just want to mention also is a player that that when the Ravens let him go it was obviously time and and he even made light of it in his hall of fame speech the additional dollars that he basically stole from these other teams <laughs> yeah, <from> uh,
4: Houston <laughs> the, and, yeah the Jets yeah the Jets
2: So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a really interesting uh, uh, thing. It's just uh, Ogden is probably a good example. It's but but uh, Yada is playing, frankly, at a higher level than Ogden was in 2007. Ogden was a pro bowler who was really a pro bowler in the last era of honorific pro bowlers, where somebody is automatically the greatest offensive lineman until they retire after after they've been the greatest offensive lineman, their position for a while right and and so it's i i well i love jonathan and and he the injuries were mounting up and he had a problem marshall yanda right now playing at a very high level and it's a it's a lost additional year in a great career for him to retire i don't begrudge him it but it's a it's a lost opportunity to extend a great career
4: yeah i i agree i mean listen we talked sometime during the season and you we had asked each other what we think if we felt like he was gonna retire or not and I listed off five reasons for him not to retire yeah. and um you know part of it was that he was healthy that he was playing at a high level that the Ravens are Super Bowl contenders and I can't remember the other two off the top of my head but there was plenty of reason to stay but he made it very clear it was very important to him to go out on top and he did
2: uh, he, he sure did, and and this season, as I had it graded, I mean, he had a very high overall grade, easily in A uh, for the season. But he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine A's as I scored it. Uh, he was in the B range another, it's like six times and one C the entire season. So this is the this has been a a constant with Yonda over the years. Is it's not only very difficult to tell his seasons apart, but most offensive linemen had a have a lot of variation of result by game. You know, it, it, and it's true of, you know, baseball players or football players or whatever. I mean, they have good games, they have bad games. They drop passes if you're a receiver. You you make a great grab and, and you know you have a very big difference. But Yanda had this incredible ability to be very consistent game after game after game in terms of having the results look very much like each other. It's like like all the episodes of Three's Company or all the episodes of Gilligan's Island don't have a lot of difference between them.
4: Seriously, I mean that John Harbaugh was asked what he was going to miss most about Marshall Yonda. And he hit on that key. He was like, it's the consistent effort. It's the consistent play. You can, you know, as a head coach, how comforting is that? That, you know, you know, you can rely on that day in and day out. It's exactly what you're speaking to. It'll
2: be a a, a very difficult thing to replace. And I assume Ben Powers is the guy who's going to take over at right guard. And he's going to have obviously huge shoes to fill. But it'll be like the opposite of what Lamar Jackson is now facing. I mean, I I, I feel sorry for Joe Flacco in a sense because he's getting compared to Lamar, you know, Time after time for what he does and what Flacco didn't do is really what's coming up. It's going to be the opposite way for Powers, and he's going to be here and have to hear a lot of this stuff about how that wouldn't have happened with Yanda. Yanda would have stopped that. Yanda would have opened the gate on that, on that <laughs> yeah. power run. I'm like, I mean, just stop it. You know, so, <laughs> um, so many things to love about Marshall, and, and, and I want to talk about this. Was there more from the press conference that you wanted to go over?
4: No, I mean, I've got other things that will mingle throughout what, what we're going to do here. Um, but I think those were the biggest takeaways.
2: All right. All right. I want to talk a little bit about chronologically where Marshall came from and how he came through the Ravens organization. The offensive line certainly uh, morphed around him a number of times during his stay there. We'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, for those who don't know, and a lot of people don't know exactly where Marshall comes from, he comes from a small town called Anamosa in Iowa, which is about 10 miles northeast of Cedar Rapids. Now, my company had a Significant office in Cedar Rapids where a lot of the actuaries work. So I've been there a number of times. Uh, oh, first wow. of all, a, a lot of people know him personally there, including actuaries who played against him. One of the things they they always pointed out was that Marshall was so much different from the other players at his small school. There's a population only 5,500 in Amosus. You know, the high school is not very large. Um, but because he played at such a small school. He, his ability didn't really show through in the way it would have. They could tell he was good and he was huge, but the, the, the rest of the players around him were not nearly as good. And that made it hard for him to shine in that area. But uh, the, 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 the big thing in Anamosa is it's home to the, and it's probably actually a, National Motorcycle Museum. That's, yeah. If you look up you that, uh, <laughs> you'll see that. Very decorated high school player, but he did not have a uh, a major college offer. I, I've heard different stories on this, that he really went to, ju- to play juco ball because he had not had good grades in high school, and that was something he needed to improve upon to make sure he could get a scholarship and whatnot. He may have been a marginal scholarship player. I really don't know the entire story there, and I almost hate to speculate on some
4: of this. Oh. Yeah, well, um, it is. It's. It's. You bring up. I had forgotten that he was a junior college player. Um, so I. It's like I'm. I'm glad that you're. You're pointing that out. I forgot about it until, um. You know, I. You. I was looking through this. This lineup for today, and then and then Marshall Yonda spoke about it today. I. Um. We were just comparing him a bit to Jonathan Ogden because they're two um, Hall of Fame. Players, Marshall Yonda will be. And what's crazy, and I think this is so important that defines Marshall Yonda, you you always knew Jonathan Ogden was going to be great. Whereas, whereas, as we go through the chronology here, not everybody knew Yonda was going to be great. Mm-hmm. And you get the first tip of that by saying, oh, he, he went to, to, to a to junior college, a future Hall of Fame player started at junior college i just think this and some other things that we will bring up just as like kids look look at what can happen it's not all god-given talent don't get me wrong he's a huge guy and 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 has that talent but 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 there's a massive amount of work that he had to put in and it wasn't it wasn't like jonathan ogden where it was just clear that he was great this guy had to work for it and this was the very humble beginnings of it
2: yeah I, I agree and and I think Ryan Jensen may have been through a similar thing. And actually, I've got to apologize to Marshall right now because it may be Ryan Jensen who had the grades issue that that when he was going through school. and I've, i' I've heard it from family, so I, I don't want to mis misconstrue the story if it may have just been a football issue that that kept Marshall from getting a major college scholarship, but two years into it, he's playing in Mason City, Iowa. Okay, that's in a in northern Iowa, north central Iowa, uh, so northwest of where he grew up and is a small town of twenty eight thousand, still five times the size of where he actually grew up. But very small North Iowa area area community college is where he played and uh, and and he uh, played for two years there and Iowa State contacted him about a scholarship. He was going to sign a letter of intent. And then Iowa offered him a scholarship on the day he, or day or the day before he was to sign that. So kind of an interesting oh, wow. change of uh, events there that sent him to Iowa. Uh, obviously, I think he wanted to play there, coming from Eastern Iowa. Cedar Rapids, by the way, that entire town just stops the day of a of a Hawkeyes football game. All of Eastern Iowa does, but it's only about thirty five miles away, and and so people are really excited for Iowa football, Iowa basketball too, but Iowa football in particular.
4: I, I mean, that that and, and wrestling, I know, are, are big out there. And and I just I just want to, you know, kind of point out since we're talking about, you know, where he came from with with Iowa. And, and maybe this sticks out to me because, um, you, you know, just this this farm aspect, you know, that he, he grows grows up in that that environment. My grandfather was a farmer his whole life. So my mom grew up on a farm. And so Marshall Yana just always fit that mold that I had in my mind of of um, farmers do not talk about, uh, you know, praising themselves or, or anything like that. It is all about wake up at 4 a.m., go get your work done, just put in the grind and and you keep your head down and you just work. And so I just wanted to kind of slip slip in there since we're talking about that that Iowa background. That, that, you know, he just, he, I remember just my grandfather before he passed away, we'd always be marveled at his hands. They were just, they were hands of a, of a working man. And and you look at Yonda now, he's got so many broken fingers, his hands are so messed up. So maybe it didn't come on the field of the farms, but the, the fields of, of football certainly did that. But he just fits to me their prototypical farmer mold.
2: It's, it's certainly that, that work ethic has certainly served him well. Uh, Okay, let's talk a little bit then. So he's at Iowa. He's playing for Kirk Ferentz, I guess, there. I, I believe he was there at the time Marshall was. Uh, but it, it's a, a offensive line system that is well known for overcoaching their players. In fact, sometimes you have to be a little bit worried about linemen coming out of Iowa that they've already hit their ceiling because they, they're so well coached. But uh, the Ravens really went out on a limb. And if you've ever seen the Ravens draft board, and I'm sure you've probably been in the room during your time with the Ravens, uh, that you see the stars and dots they have on the draft board. You seen that? Yep. Yeah. OK, yep. so they put a red star on players. And th- the way I understand it is that each of the scouts is allowed to identify one player. And maybe at some point you're allowed to identify more than one. But one player who identif- embodies the Ravens and at least one of the, the scouts that year identified Marshall as a red star player. So they had the 101st pick in the draft. They traded up 15 spots, did a very un-Ravens-like thing, especially for the third round, and traded three picks to move up to number 86. They traded 101, 166, and 203 to move up to 86 and get Marshall Yanda. So you know they loved him. They really they did not well, want to take a risk I, I on the draft.
4: I got to tell, tell you the story that Eric Dacosta told today. That was great. Yeah. Um... I am not remembering who the offensive line coach was um, the year that they drafted uh, Marshall Yonda, but uh, that offensive line coach had given a book to Eric DaCosta and Eric DaCosta wrote him a thank you note. And uh, in that thank you note, he also said um, that Marshall Yonda kid, I don't know, something like he's great. And he said, book it. Marshall Yonda to the Ravens at 61, which was their second round pick. Mm-hmm. So as you alluded to with all the trading, Ozzy traded out of that that 61 for, for two third rounders. And then like they picked the on their first the third rounder was Yuman figures. figures. Yep. Did not <laughs> did not work as well. <laughs> and then that second third round pick was to Marshall Yonda. And so that offensive line coach after the draft sent the thank you note that Eric DaCosta had sent to him, sent it back to him and said, "Um, pretty close, (laughs) but not quite. Something like that. And um, and so Eric DaCosta has pinned that thank you note up on his board in his office. And it's been there for 13 years. And he's just so proud that, that that third round pick. It turned out to, to to be who he was, but for 13 years he's always looked up and and looked at that thank you note, reminding him about the the circumstances of of drafting Marshall Yanda.
2: Yeah, well, very cool. Uh, certainly uh, a great moment in Ravens draft history to make that trade, and and he's one of the great third round picks. You know they got Lardarius Webb in the third round, and they've had some good ones, but Yanda is now clearly the best of that group. Uh, clearly. Wanted to talk a little bit then about his pro career and just it did not develop immediately for Marshall Yanda. And part of this, I think, was some obviously a lot of talent on the Ravens offensive line beginning in 2007 when he arrived, but also some probably some missteps in terms of managing that line and figuring out exactly what he was going to be best at. So we want to talk about that starting in 2007 because Yanda came to the Ravens and was drafted as a tackle. Now that's true of a lot of offensive linemen is they come in as tackles. Patrick McCary, you know, played tackle at California, for example, doesn't have the arm length to play tackle at the at the NFL level, though they might do it in an emergency. Yanda, another guy who's fairly short-armed, and, and it wouldn't have made sense for him to play long-term at right tackle. Except that when he did play there, he was outstanding. He was absolutely outstanding at right tackle. That including started 12 games uh, almost right off the bat in 2007 because because uh, Adam Terry was the Ravens' right tackle. When he came in, he was injured in the very first quarter of the first game. And Yanda came in, I believe, for the first play of the second quarter. I can't verify exactly. I was looking at it last night, but I believe that's mm-hmm. when he entered.
4: Well, and then just to just to put more perspective on this, um, because he did play well at, at right tackle, but uh, Yanda told the story today that his very first um, – NFL practice with pads on um, Marsh or Jonathan Ogden was starting um, on PUP that year. So in practice, Marshall Yonda was put in at left tackle mm. and he looks across the line and who is it? Terrell sucks. And so he said that throughout his college career uh, and high school career, he had seen many offensive linemen get knocked on their back from the defensive line. And that had never happened to him. And he thought he, it never would. But that very first practice, Terrell Suggs knocks him on his back. And he said that that was the first time he seriously doubted whether he was going to be able to make it in the NFL. <laughs> like he was just like, I don't know if I'm going to have what it takes. So, you know, that just motivated them. That motivated them to 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 work even harder. Um. So so that's a great story. I couldn't imagine <laughs> that happening, not, not starting off well. But then, as you said, at, at right tackle – He's playing he's playing great as a rookie.
2: Yeah, he did he really did in his very first game he played in that Monday night opener against the Bengals in 2007. Just a horrible game to start a horrible season. Uh but they lost 27 to 20. Ed Reed had a big punt return during the game that was a big highlight. Put the Ravens up 20 to 19 late in the third quarter, but he was penalized 3 times in that game. Offensive holding, false start, false start. That is nice. 3. Of his 43 career penalties, 7% of his career penalties occurred in that very first game. That's That's a great
4: note, man. That's a great note.
2: (laughs) uh, Inauspicious stat, but he had a great 2007. He really played very well at right tackle. And you you, you would think that going into 2008, that would have him playing somewhere, somewhere on that line.
1: But the mm-hmm. Ravens'
2: 2008 line was very good. And I'm going to take you from left to right there. The Ravens had uh, uh, Jared Gaither at left tackle when Jared Gaither actually wanted to play football. And he was a hell of a football player there for two years, 2008 and 2009. He was the second best left tackle, well, probably the third best left tackle now that we have Ronnie Stanley, the Ravens have ever had. And When and, he
4: wanted it, he was
2: he good. Yep. And a lot of the times that he would start brooding and and. Smoking and whatnot and doing the things that were very <laughs> self-destructive. But mm-hmm. uh, but the Ravens also acquired Willie Anderson to play right tackle going into 2008, despite the fact Yanda had played very well in 07. And that, By the way, that didn't turn out to be a bad move or anything. Anderson played well. Yanda started the year at right guard and was injured on week six at Indianapolis. It was a game we went to personally. The Ravens dropped to two and three. Before they won eleven of their last of thirteen prior to the AFC Championship loss to Pittsburgh, so they wanted a great run after this game. But that was one of the most one-sided losses, probably in team history. They lost thirty-one to three at Indy. Yanda was injured. There's not much more that can go wrong in a single game. And what was significant there is Chris Chester took his position at that point, and he didn't only hold it for the rest of two thousand eight. He held it into two thousand and nine, and Yada didn't win it back right away. So uh, a strange thing go ahead i'm sorry
4: well no 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 so so that knee injury he said today that he ripped three of the four ligaments in his knee that required two surgeries to have repaired and so what was crazy to him is that up to that point he had never had a serious injury in his career and he kind of thought kind of like the way we always thought about joe flacco well he's just a durable guy he never gets hurt you know and so that's what Yonda thought. He's like, man, I just I just don't get hurt. And so to have that um, to have that serious injury and then people around him doubting whether he could really come back from that. And so I'm sure that played into where you're where you're leading into that 2009 year where he doesn't get a starting job back.
2: Yeah, that, that's it. Did you know the ligaments? He said three of the four. So ACL, MCL, PCL. I'm aware of. Is there a fourth that I'm not thinking of? Doesn't matter. What 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 a point what what I want to make is that Matt Skura was there at the press conference today, and he's trying to come back from something where he's torn mm-hmm. three of his ligaments. So it's yeah, it's, yeah. So that's, that's
4: great inspiration for him.
2: Yeah, I, I hope so because Skura really. The timing of his injury couldn't have been worse, and really uh, want to have the want to have him back on the Ravens line ASAP, and hope he can just continue his career. Period.
4: You're going to make me look into the anatomy of the knee, by the way. Ken, I'm very I'm good. Get back to you. <laughs> That's,
2: you've you've got the right husband for that. I'm sure he can help. You I with do that. have
4: the right husband for that. <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, also, from that rookie year comes one of the great Marshall Yanda stories of all time. Now, I heard it recently told by Yanda to, to Bart Scott. Do you want to tell it, or do you want me to tell it?
4: Oh, I mean, either way, he told it okay. again today. He had some different details, but so I'll fill in with with whatever okay. he added today. So go for it.
2: Okay. So I, I just so Bart Scott was interviewing Marshall Yanda. Bart Scott was there in 2007, of course, and said the thing I remember most about is you agreeing to be tased for $600, and he said, yeah, you know, C-Mac and Samari Roll, you just see those two nimrods getting together, and putting up $600 to offer it to be tased, and he said, it wasn't one of those taser guns where, where it like poked into you like they shot it with wires or whatever and then it, it it was like a stun gun where they just applied the thing to him and it was just he was shocked on the thing he said you know i've been around a farm i've been shocked by the electric fence before but i noticed his body language was not telling the same story that his words were because he's kind of squirming in his seat telling the story and well i couldn't rom-
4: tell if he was squirming just because he hated to be on camera or if it was because of that i don't know
2: Maybe, but I will tell you what, I make that same motion any that I see needles on TV or there's any kind of drug use or anything like that. I just can't stand that <laughs> yeah. stuff. I can't watch it, and so I, I, you know, I squirm in my seat like that. It, it's, it's, it's like it's not a pleasant memory for Marshall, or it maybe wasn't exactly the easiest $600 he ever made, which is of course the way he termed it.
4: Well, so, so a couple of um, additions to that 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 he told today was that was that um, that they originally did it on another player, and the other player fell to the ground Ooh. and was, like, screaming. Yeah, and was, like, screaming. So then from that, like, Marshall said there was, like, blood in the water. Like, they wanted to find the next victim, but after the first guy, first player fell to the ground, like, nobody was stepping up. So Marshall was like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do it. It can't be worse than than what I've been, as you said, on the farm. So he said they got him once and he didn't even like flinch. And so he made them do it again because he was nervous that they were going to back out of the 600 bucks saying that something went wrong. So he took it twice to make sure that he got paid.
2: Uh, very good. Very good. That's a that's a great story. <laughs> I gets better with age, I'm sure. I, I, sometimes you wonder about these stories that athletes have and you want to come back 15 years from now and see what that story sounds like. But that's that's a great one. I I, uh, I really enjoyed hearing it. Uh, that 2008 team uh, among the best offensive lines the Ravens ever had. Willie Anderson at right tackle, Jared Gaither on the left side, uh, Yanda starting at right guard. But even Chester, I mean, he ended up being not good enough to hold a job on the Ravens' offensive line. That's about the only offensive line in the league that Chris Chester couldn't have played on because he ended up being a hell of a lineman for his career. Ben Grubbs was at left guard, drafted in the same class as Yanda in in round one at number 29. And then Jason Brown was moved to center that year and played extremely well in his final year with the Ravens. So, uh, just it's a, one crazy
4: of... to think about. It's crazy to think about how many people left for major paydays elsewhere. Oh yeah, Chris, Chris Chester, Grubbs. Brown, Jason Brown, Jerry yeah. Gaither
2: swindled swindled the Chargers out of a bunch <laughs> of money.
4: Not really up, he totally <laughs> swindled. He sure did. <laughs> he sure did. But that's that's to your point um that's why it was so i mean also coming off off the the knee injury or no you're still talking about 2008 never mind um is that are those same players there in 2009
2: uh well, no because brown was gone but it was 2007 he did come off the knee injury and he was it was 2000 i'm sorry 2008 right he had the knee injury yeah, that's right yeah, yes
4: yeah yeah,
2: yeah. okay, okay. Well, let's continue 2009 a great year to start back because it's another great offensive line and honestly i think the 2009 line was the best, and I'm also going to say I think, despite the fact they only went nine and seven during the regular season, I think the 2009 team was the best of the 08 to 12 era. Now there are a lot of people who disagree with that, and I don't really care but, but, but the, <laughs> the, the 2009 team had had the best offensive line, and Yanda was there. Uh, he didn't get he didn't get the start. Um, uh, right away, but he finally took over for Chester in week twelve. He had a couple starts earlier than that, but in week twelve he, he he took over at right guard. Had a monster game versus Pittsburgh, and then he really held the position for the rest of his career. But you can see he, how long said, it
4: took him. Yeah, well, he said that 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 transition between 2008 to 2009. He he talked about it today. Uh, he he was like, I was benched for 11 games in 2009. He said that was the toughest time of his career uh, coming off that injury. And then people just really not sure that he could come back and play, play at a high level. And so when he finally got that chance in week 12, I don't know who reminded him, but he said he was reminded that if he didn't play well, he wouldn't just be benched after the game. He'd be benched by halftime. So, so he Hmm. said that that year and being benched for 11 games changed his life because he was like, when I got my job back, he was like, I was even more driven to succeed. So it's just like, it's just another one of those stories that again, that people just need to remember when they're going through their own trials. I mean, he's got this terrible knee injury. People around him are doubting him. They're telling him if they're going to give him a shot, but he's going to be out by halftime if he isn't playing well, if he isn't playing well, but it's oftentimes our lowest point in our lives that, 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 if we are able to keep working and overcome it becomes almost our more most cherished times in our lives because you see what you how how much you can do when you are pushed to the limit so it was really inspiring to listen to him talk about that and how it was his toughest time and one that changed his life
2: yeah by nature you really can't have a big turning point in life unless you're at a low You can't. I mean, you need to have a low to be able to have a turning point. So uh, that's uh, it it was. I'm convinced
4: of it, Ken. You cannot experience. You cannot experience the good without the bad. I'm convinced of it. You cannot really enjoy the good without the bad.
2: Uh, You got my vote on that one. Um, That game, by the way, if you there's two games that I'd really recommend if you want to see Marshall Yonda of that approximate era. But go see the Week Twelve game against Pittsburgh in 2009. It's out there on Game Pass still. They they don't have. I believe they do not have. Um, the off the coach's video for that, but doesn't matter. You can see it on the broadcast video. He's absolutely ripping apart uh, Aaron Smith and Brett Keisel in that game, who were the, the the big Steelers linemen of the time. Uh, but but anyway, he's 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 much too much for them. Uh, the other game to watch came later that season because in the wild card game at New England, people. Some people remember this. But some people they're they're too young for this, which is I would love to I guess be in that group. The Ravens ran the ball 49 times. I'm not even including three Neels at the end of the game. Passed it only 10 times. Flacco went 4 of 10, and they beat New England 33 to 14 in that game. 33-16, 33-14. 33-14. And that game, Yanda pulled 19 times. 19 wow. times, converted 15. For many years, that was the highest number I'd ever scored in a single game. The Ravens did have 23 goals left Until this guard. year? They had they had twenty three in a game was it this year or a couple of years ago with Hurst having about half okay. of them, so it was it was uh, might have been actually might have been last year, um, but yeah they okay I just
4: know that they pulled a lot this year so <laughs> yes yeah
2: yeah they do uh, they, they they certainly have but the the fifteen of nineteen converted by Yanda was amazing and there's a highlight if you watch Ray Rice's eighty three yard run uh, Yanda really had the big block he got Will Fork off his pins and and Pinned for Burke, who then finished him, and then he moved to level two and not uh, kicked out Guyton in the other direction, uh, which is just a great combination block, uh, perfectly executed. Uh, Phil Sims really looks at it on the air and says, you know, wow, it's a great block for Marshall Yanda kind of thing. But Ray Rice negotiated the traffic right there and was off to the races, and the Ravens are off to one of their really most impressive wins in franchise history.
4: Will Ferk is a big boy. So yeah. that is impressive. That is impressive. And I remember those runs like it was yesterday. I just remember screaming and jumping up and down, loving those runs to get off to a, to a big lead. Well, yeah, to get off to the lead and then never giving it up.
2: Yeah. It was a very cold day that day. Uh, I, I remember that about it more than anything. But the other thing is that um, if, you, if you watch the TV from that, the broadcast video, again, still available out there on Game Pass, so, so very watchable um, – They they have several replays of the run they go to. And then they went to this great shot on the sideline. And Will Fork is being talked to by a coach. And he he does this thing where he punches his hand. So the coach is asking him, obviously, what the hell happened on that play? Where were you? And he's obviously saying, somebody hit me in the side and moved me out of the way while I was already engaged with Kirk. (laughs) And guess who that was?
4: (laughs) Guess who that somebody was. That's (laughs) awesome.
2: But it's very visible. It's it's very obvious what they're talking about. You don't have to hear the words to to know. You you can just watch what Will Fork is saying and and it's it's very clear.
4: You're definitely making me want to go back and look at that run. Yeah, no, that's well, great.
2: take a I mean, take a look. It's definitely it's only only take you a minute to find it, it's it's great. I mean, there's a few things I ask people to watch. If you want to understand how Lamar Jackson uh, reads leverage in his opponent, go back and just watch just one round of boxing. The first round of the nineteen sixty four Clay Liston fight and he just completely outclasses list. There's no way he can he can hit him. He's just much too fast, holly's and anticipating every punch. That's what it's like with Lamar Jackson reading leverage. But if you want to watch just something to really understand uh Yanda and, and and what his signature block was, these combination blocks of pinning somebody at level 1, moving to level 2, making a block. Go back and watch that particular play, the 83-yard run by Rice and uh and you'll have it. All right, I'm going to move on to 2010 here, where uh, despite a very high level of play in 08 and 09, the Ravens and I think maybe Harbaugh had had enough of of Jared Gaither's antics, and they decided they were <laughs> going to switch sides for Orr and Gaither, and Orr is coming off a very successful year at right tackle. In fact, his rookie year, he played so well at right tackle, he looked like. He was the the Ravens are making a big mistake to move him to left tackle because he was risking, you know, a potential ring of honor or even a Hall of Fame career had he stayed on the right side. Uh, And it appeared that way then. I mean, with with what I know now, I'm not sure that that risk was really there. But anyway, it didn't work out for him and it really severely stunted his growth to play at left tackle. And they eventually did move him back to right tackle as a Raven, but uh, that back and forth nature with McKinney in and, and McKinney out and then, and then to get Monroe in and him moving back to right tackle, that did not help Orr's growth. And it really uh, ran him out of Baltimore. He, 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 his career was a ski slope in terms of production, but uh, you know, he was, he was uh, not helped by that move. Uh, but all the while this is going on, when Gaither developed a back injury after Orr was moved to left tackle, Yanda Can took. We put answer- a
4: back injury in quotes.
2: Yes, yes, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. right.
4: Air quotes. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, it's, it was it was a, a work ethic injury of some sort, and they they looked to they did look to I believe trade him before the 2010 season, but it may have been the 2011 season they were also looking at. Anyway, they'd finally had enough after. After that, Yanda took his place at right tackle, and really put in a Pro Bowl type year. I thought he should have been the Pro Bowl right tackle, uh, or a Pro Bowl right tackle in 2010. But for whatever reason, he he wasn't given it, and still had no Pro Bowl through four seasons, and really had not yet established the regular position. He established himself as a starter. He wasn't going to lose that again. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until 2011 that he finally moved back to right guard his fifth year, made the first of his seven Pro Bowls. You went through your fifth year to make your first Pro Bowl, and then you still make...
4: It's bananas. Yeah. I mean, it just again, it speaks to what I, what I was saying earlier, and I might bring it up more. And just, again, a Hall of Fame player at junior college, starts off his rookie you know, practice getting knocked on his back, and then... You know, it's switching back and forth between positions and then finally in his fifth year makes his Pro Bowl. I mean, he just he's just grinding behind the scenes the entire time.
2: Yeah, I, I was just checking while you were talking there and, and I'm wrong. So it was the first of eight Pro Bowls he made in his fifth year. That's very, very hard to do. So he only missed the Pro Bowl once. Uh after that due to injury but uh but uh, a very impressive season in 2011 uh he was with grubs for no he was not with grubs yes he was that was grubs last year in baltimore was 2011 uh before he left
4: yeah because Uh, he didn't he missed the super bowl i remember that yeah he left the year of the super bowl
2: good tandem there uh the Ravens' uh, line was in turmoil. They moved Orr back to right tackle. They moved McKinney in at left tackle at the start of the year. The crazy thing was, the 2012 season started and the Ravens are on their Super Bowl run. The lo- offensive line is having problems. First of all, um, mm. you know they they had a they had. A, Colegio Emily, they drafted in the second round in 2012. They started him at right tackle. A lot of people don't remember that. Uh, though he did play left tackle with the Ravens as well. They left him there for the entire season. And McKinney was very much playing like Gaither was, which means he's, he's, he's not acting like he really gives a crap about football.
4: Mm-hmm. And
2: and they left him on the bench for the entire season. And Harbaugh oh, finally...
4: so right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and Harbaugh finally decided... After a bad, poor play from Orr, McKinney on the sideline, Osemele not really really doing it at right tackle like they thought he might at guard, and then poor left guard play from three different players. Harwood, Reed, and Bobby Williams shared that left guard position. They were all awful. All awful. And so finally they decided, we're going to move Osemele into guard to fill that hole. We're going to move McKinney into Orr. he can't be any at left tackle. He can't be any worse than Orr, and we're going to move Orr right. back to right tackle where he played well as a rookie uh, and, and see how that works out.
4: What and week, what week did he finally do that?
2: The first week of the playoffs for the Colts. It game. was the
4: first yes. week of the playoffs. And,
2: the, and then <laughs> well, of course, you're in the
4: from, <laughs> house, man, you're in the doghouse.
2: It's a, it's not just a doghouse. It's a kennel. He's running a big kennel there. He's, <laughs> it's
4: uh, a kennel. Yeah, but no, it's not without merit. I do, I just want to put that in there. A lot of people get mad at at Harbaugh for putting people in the doghouse. But I mean, if if this is the NFL, man, if you're not if you're not working, then then why are you being rewarded? So I mean, but it is crazy how they put that because people talk about how lines need to be together for weeks, if not months, if not years, mm-hmm. to really develop a chemistry. So I do remember it being late. I forgot that it was in the playoffs that he finally made that big shuffle. And then, I mean, it was massive. Yeah. I, I, Joe Flacco, uh, and this is true of most quarterbacks, obviously, but when he's got a clean pocket, I mean, you saw it. You saw it in the playoffs. He he, he was comfortable back there.
2: Makes makes all the difference in the world. And, and the Ravens' run game also was outstanding. Osemele just immediately jumped up to a completely different level of play. He was the biggest gain of the three. Um, in, in particular because the play at left guard was so bad. But Osemele just made block after block against the Colts. And I, I went back and I looked at this. I don't think PFF graded him all that highly for the game, but he had a ton of great blocks in that game. And I, I just, I, I, all three of them were probably at a higher level than the player there before, with the exception maybe of right tackle. I don't think they got a lot of gain at right tackle with Orr versus Osemele. But they, they, they gained at left tackle and they gained at left guard big time. And Flacco, of course, was eleven and zero in the in the postseason that year in terms of touchdowns and interceptions.
4: It was it was perfect. I just just because we're talking about the ele- we just moved on from to 2012. Yeah, I mean I just wanted to point in there that um Yonda spoke about that today and how he said we I mean, I hate to bring the game back up, but that game um against the the Patriots that um, you know, Lee Evans <laughs> dropped the, the touchdown, the game winning touchdown pass. And uh he said he and Burke were literally hugging and celebrating, thinking that they were going to the Super Bowl. And he said, he goes, I've just never felt anything like it. He's like, it just felt like my heart was ripped out when I realized, you know, we hadn't won. And so, but he's you know, and you've heard it, you've heard it from so many players. And 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 Yana just added to it that they just really believed that that 2000 season molded molded and hardened them, and and so the it's what we spoke about earlier. I think he was saying that just to how he relishes that Super Bowl win. He he will never forget, you know, the confetti coming down. He felt like they were like little kids celebrating and running onto onto the field. And he said he's going to remember that and relish it for his whole life. Especially with the backdrop drop of that 2011 loss, and just just a heart wrenching heart wrenching loss for him and the whole team.
2: Lows going to highs again, and I got to say, there it is. Ma- Maureen and I were at the game. Of course, we've been every playoff game, but but the 2011 game. Uh, I had the same exact reaction. I saw the ball in Lee Evans' hands. I thought that it was a touchdown. I grabbed her. I was like, we're going to the Super Bowl next week or two weeks from now. And, uh, and I couldn't have been more excited. And then and then she was the one that realized, no, they, he dropped it. <laughs> you know it how
4: John Eisenberg is doing those where are they now? Is it still yeah. too soon to bring back Lee Evans and, and Cundiff? I know that when he, when even when he brought back uh, Kyle Buller, there wasn't, uh, uh, people are still bitter about that, but I sure would like to know where Leva Evans is right now.
2: Yeah. I I, I mean, having him on as a guest or something on this show, I think would be okay. But, but there's, I mean, Lee Evans had a terrible, 2011 season with the Ravens. He was projected to come in have 1,400 yards or whatever. You know, A lot of people mm-hmm. had outrageous expectations of what he could do after he destroyed the Ravens in the 2010 game. But, they, but the, uh, his actual season, Flacco completed only four of 27 balls to Evans on the season. And there were three interceptions. The passer rating throwing to Evans that year was 0.0 during the regular season. That is incredibly hard to do. And especially over the yeah. course of twenty-seven passes, so uh, you know he did catch three passes on that drive in two thousand eleven that got them helped get them up the field. Uh, so, so in a in a sense, you know, is it it was a good play by Sterling Moore to strip the football. It wasn't all Evans' fault, but boy, he's got to do something better to protect that ball once he once he had it.
4: You got to protect that thing. Yeah, I, it's nice of you to give him that shout out. I, they have, of all the many things that, you know, you kind of hope with Eric DaCosta taking over and we're off to a good start, I sure hope he's able to turn around these wide receiver woes that the Ravens have just endured year after year after year. He's off to a great start. Let's hope it keeps up.
2: Yeah, I mean, he drafted two guys last year who look like the real deal, and that's the key. They got to be able to draft yeah. at wide receiver and develop at wide receiver in order to get off that damn free agent treadmill because it's a, it's a mess. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah.
2: It's, it's just so costly. Yeah. All right, so we talked a little bit about the 2012 season and the wonderful adaptation of the line for the playoffs and whatnot. The 2013 season went just the other way. Burke retired uh, at center. It was a huge loss. He was a great player for four years for the Ravens, really underrated. probably In my opinion, probably deserves to be one of the next Ring of Honor inductees. Obviously, he's going in line behind Flacco and Yonda at this point, but deserves that consideration when the Ravens have a dry spell, certainly, of, of players and, and want to put somebody in. Gino Gradkowski and AQ Shipley took over at left guard and center, Yikes. respectively. And that happened after Osemele had an early-season injury, a back injury, really a lost season for him in 2013. They acquired Eugene Monroe to take over for, for McKinney at left tackle, then they then they unloaded McKinney on the Dolphins. Uh, good riddance there. Um, and uh, he'd kind of given up on the game. And Yanda was really the only constant in there at right guard, um and and playing well even Rick Wagner who was a rookie that year did not play well at right tackle uh so uh, so Yonda was really the only guy in you a, know a, what was a uh, very disappointing 8-8 eight eight Ravens season coming off that Super Bowl
4: You know we had been so spoiled we, I mean we already ran through it of of why Yonda couldn't even start in 2009 right. after having a great start to a season I mean, the Ravens had drafted so well that they just kept plugging in, you know, Jason, the Jason Browns and Chris Chester's Grubs was a high draft pick. But Jared Gaith, like they it just seemed like they could do no wrong with their selections um, with the offensive line. And so I remember going into it thinking, well, I don't know, Gradkowski, but I mean, the Ravens have such a great history of of picking the right offensive line players that I went into it, you know, not thinking anybody could replace Burke, but somewhat confident, and that just that did not go well. That did not no. go well at all
2: no it 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 didn't. a Q Shipley remarkably was still in the NFL last season. i keep keep being shocked that the guy is really? still around. But yeah, he's playing for the Cardinals, I think, or or maybe he's on another team now, but he's but he's been around the league a little bit. played spent a lot of time in Arizona. And, uh, and, you know, remarkably, he's, he's, is still hanging in on the margin of the NFL. So, and he's, and he's funny thing is he started a lot of games during his career. So I'm going to look this up really just quickly to see, uh, what we're talking about here. But AQ Shipley played 2012 to 2019. So he's in the eighth year of his career last year. He started 70 games in the NFL, including 48 in a row from 16 through and uh, out. He missed a season. So 48 games in four years from 16 through 19. So, uh,
4: Okay. Oh, good for him.
2: Surprisingly longstanding career given uh, given how it started in Baltimore. yep. All right. well, let's keep going here. So the two thousand and fourteen season, the Ravens turned around a lot of their offensive line woes and and they got Osemily back and he played well at left guard again and and uh, you know was on the verge of becoming getting a huge payday after the two thousand and fifteen season. Uh, Yonda was a first team all pro for the first time in 2014. Or uh, was out of Baltimore, and Ryan Wagner took up uh, took over at right tackle. He's a very solid upgrade there. So that was a uh, you know a, a fortunate find that the Ravens had him on the roster in 2013, and, and in 2014 he played so well. So uh, you know the offensive line was in pretty good shape. The big problem was that Eugene Monroe was getting injured and missing games. Uh, some of it was concussion related. I think it might have had something else too. And when they didn't have him at left tackle, it was James Hurst, and he was he was pretty bad uh, when he was there. Jeremy Zuda was signed to play center, so they 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 plugged that hole at least temporarily. He was uh, he was okay in there for a couple of years. So uh, uh, you know, with with some fairly significant variation. But Yanda again, still the glue holding holding what then again was a good line together, and that was Kubiak's year uh, with the offense, and and oh, really yeah. did a good job.
4: A lot of lot of good running that year, too, which which you know, Yonda talked a lot about today more for the two thousand and nineteen season with with Lamar. but um, yeah, these were, yeah, it, the ravens were were lucky to have Yonda through all that. I mean, he definitely was was a staple because, you know, there's two years, two years here where where they were having to shuffle a lot,
2: yeah, it's uh it really was a regular thing. We'll get into some of the shuffling, there, because is not done at being part of the shuffle at this point. So in 2015, Yanda got his second first-team All-Pro. By the way, he had seven total All-Pros, but for a lot of people, just count first-team All-Pro selections as All-Pro selections, and he only had two of those. He had five second-team selections. But I really don't think there's a significant danger that Yanda is not going to make the Hall of Fame. I just think that it's possible... He may not be appreciated as a first ballot Hall of Famer. He he is a a player that is fortunate to have played during the PFF era, where our opinion of offensive linemen is changes more rapidly because the information is available closer to real time. So that's uh that's something that 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 Yanda will have when it comes time for the Hall of Fame committee to be to be voting for him.
4: Yeah, I mean, it, it just seemed like there was very little that he couldn't do. Um, I mean, he could just move anywhere. You could plug him in anywhere, and he was always playing at a high level.
2: Yeah, very very much true. And and in, in terms of the individual responsibilities of a right guard, very much that was, that was the case, too. He did everything in an above-average way and did very few things poorly that— that he would get grading deductions, at least in my system. I mean, he didn't get penalized a lot. He gave up very few pass rush events. Uh, We'll get into some of this later because we have another section on this. But 2015, anyway, disastrous, injury-filled season for the team around him. Obviously, it's a team that the Ravens – a a year the Ravens wanted to forget, but it did at least help them get the sixth overall pick. And Ronnie Stanley, beginning in 2016, who really solidified that blind side. The 2016 season – He he had his six straight Pro Bowl appearance, but this was more important than this. He had a torn labrum and moved to left guard during the season because he wanted to be able to block with his right arm, which was still okay, and be able to defend the inside rush effectively. And so he would have had a harder time, obviously, doing that with a torn labrum. I guess he was all geared up and whatnot, but doing that with a torn labrum and having the strength to do it. Um, If it was left arm on the right side, trying to defend that inside rush.
4: If there is any one season that I could pick out and be like, this is the one that is just quintessential Marshall Yonda. It would be 2016. Obviously, 2016 as a team, um, you know, doesn't stand out big time. But it is just it is bananas to me that like your right shoulders, it's it's gone or you're, it's gone. And like, but, but this guy, and this is, you know, we talk about this, you know, there's, there's debate sometimes online about, you know, how far football players have to sacrifice their health and their bodies. It is, it is beyond me that like, you should be done for the season. And if I remember correctly, it wasn't like the Ravens came to him and said, I mean, he went to them and said, hey, I have an idea. I can't play on the right side with this shoulder, but if you move me to the left side, I, I can do it with 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 one shoulder on that side. I mean, it's it's like playing with, with one hand tied behind your back. It's just, it is incredible. That, that, I will never forget about Marshall Yonda, just completely sacrificing his body for the good of the team. And, yeah. and when you have somebody on the team and we, we might get to this later about how he makes other people around him better. But when you have somebody on the team that is this all pro player consistently going to the pro bowl and you see him willing to do that, then what's that? Like what excuse do you have if like you broke a finger or, or something <laughs> else? Like there's no excuses when you are playing with Marshall Yonda, just, just an incredible uh ample he
2: is yeah i i I, it was a it was one of those outrageous seasons it it ranks up there with ronnie lott getting half his finger taken off in order to keep playing one season but um stanley uh, uh was playing next to him and that torn labrum should have shown up in a disadvantaged left b gap so it should have been the a gap should have been better but the B gap there should have been real problems. but Ronnie Stanley, with Yonda on that same side, okay, now I'm just gonna say Yonda Stanley came back from an injury and his this is his rookie year, so he's only played three NFL games, played reasonably well at that point, but he got an F in that game at Pittsburgh when he gave up four holding penalties and four holding Ooh. penalties against so that was a that was a pretty awful situation, but he then came back, and the next eight weeks ascended to who Ronnie Stanley was. And this was with Yanda next to him. He got CCCBA A minus AA to finish the season. PFF was was dripping over him as being one of the greatest, um, you know, left pass blocking left tackles in the game already at that point. Uh, he certainly made a, a you know incredible jump forward after that Pittsburgh game in those last eight weeks of the season, and, and that's of course with Marshall Yanda playing next to him. So. Even Marshall Yonda with a torn labrum disadvantaging the gap next to him <laughs> is still a, a huge help. So i, I that was a, another big moment. That 2016 season, I'm with you, Sarah. Just a, a thing to remember.
4: It's incredible.
2: All right, 2017, Yonda was out for the season in the second game, that horrible, let's see, was it week two, week three, that they that they went to London? I forget if it was week two or week three, but anyway, he, he either was,
4: was... I was going to say two, but...
2: Okay so he was yeah, hurt that, in that, that game. I'm, in trying to,
4: I'm trying to block it out of my memory, Ken. That was a bad bad game.
2: It was awful. It was awful. We, we enjoyed going to it, but uh, but it was it was just a, a nasty, nasty thing. I never I never need to go back to that country again to, to watch football. I can tell you that. <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: um, that, that, that 2017 line, though, even without Yonda, played reasonably well. They had Stanley at left tackle. Hurst at left guard had his best season. Uh, purely as a left guard, uh, Ryan Jensen moved to center and this was the great leap forward for Ryan Jensen. At the end of the year, you got a huge contract with yeah. Tampa Bay. Of course, um, Matt Skura was playing his first year, um, uh, at right guard and at least developing, he, he didn't play all that well. He was okay, but, but he, uh, he was developing the consistency, developing the durability. We would know Skura for in the years to come. And then Austin Howard was at right tackle. And uh, enjoyed Austin's time in Baltimore, even though it was relatively short. He's he's one, one player who I mentioned is having no pancakes in a game, and he tweeted to me, "Wait a minute, you missed this one." <laughs> it was just kind of cool.
4: <laughs> that is hilarious. I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, he didn't. He didn't actually. Um, tweet exactly that but he just he tagged me and he said you know it's like drive three play four you know look at this it's from austin Harris. i knew it had to be about him and i go oh wait i missed that pancake you moved to level two i, I thank you for pointing that That's
4: out funny <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um a quick quick note on this one um Marshall Yonda was asked if there was a moment or a time where when first started considering retirement. And he said it was at this time in 2017. Um he had two offseason surgeries both on his ankle and his shoulder. I guess he had a um, a weight room injury also. And so he said the, the quote that he had was he was put on notice. Um, I think through that injury um, that, you know what, maybe he needs to start thinking about um, retirement. So this is the first time he started thinking it because, I mean, he just, the word he used today because of all these injuries that he, I mean, he was funny. He was saying thank you to so many different coaches and players and all that. And he specifically said thank you to all the doctors that had helped him. And it was not a short list, <laughs> you know. He was like, "Thank doctor, you know, so and so, doctor so and so, doctor so and so, doctor so." And he's like, "Guys, I was injured, <laughs> you know, a lot." Um, but I think that th- th- these were such serious injuries for him, and and the word he used was pain. He had endured a lot of pain that that he was like, you know, that's when he first started men- mentally preparing himself to retire. So it had really been on his. So when he went into 2018 he was getting ready to mentally get to, to, to have to leave the game that he loved. And it was, it was because of that, uh, partly because of that, that those two offseason surgeries he underwent.
2: Interesting. So I, I was wondering if the end result of the 2017 season, namely the fourth and 12, 49 yard touchdown pass that, that beat the Ravens to Boyd Dalton to Boyd mm-hmm. was part of what made him consider retiring It's obviously a very bitter end to that season. I know the injuries are probably a bigger deal for the player themselves, but, uh, but boy, there was a, there, I, I it wouldn't have, wouldn't have been too surprising if he, if he'd hung it up at that point. I'm glad he didn't, obviously.
4: Yeah.
2: Came back in 2018. Anyway, um, the Ravens had drafted uh, Lamar Jackson, but you know, at the beginning of 2018, particularly from that preseason, there was absolutely zero evidence that Lamar Jackson would be in starting at any time during 2018, no evidence at all. I mean, there's right I mean, he, zero he
4: didn't,
2: didn't pass well in the preseason and, and he was running the ball exclusively, always looking to run first. It looked like a lot to just get himself out of trouble. It didn't look like he was really ready to play NFL quarterback, but uh, you know, Yana made the pro bowl. The line was pretty good as a whole with Uh, Stanley, obviously, at left tackle Lewis and Hurst, each playing reasonably well um, at left guard, although Hurst wasn't great in the second half of that year at left guard. Skurr at center took a step forward. Yanda, of course, and then Hurst and Brown at right tackle were were providing some solid play. But Jackson coming in the second half was a a fairly much of a lightning ride. I guess, uh, you know, I wonder how much Yanda's decision to come back in 2019 was based on what he saw out of Jackson. In the second half of 2018.
4: That's a good question. I, I mean, this is a little bit off topic. My my last day working for the Ravens was August 1st, 2018. So I was at all, not all. I was at most of the practices Lamar had had um, been in from when he got drafted. So I saw him all through the, you know, uh OTAs, OTAs and the, it, yeah, mini camp, and like, and then the start of training camp. I remember cuz there was so much uh, really I mean sometimes the, I mean sometimes the media really does drum up a story that's just not there and that's what they had done with Flacco and Lamar when he first was drafted you know when Lamar when J- when Flacco went to the training camp party and then th- his whole day was already planned he, and there was no plan to talk to the media like he had all these fan events and Everybody was making it up. And they, of course, Flacco wasn't happy that Lamar is drafted. But if you know the personalities of these two guys, you would know that like they were going to be professional and respectful. And, and I think it was even above that. But but my point being, bring all this up, is that I remember it being like, oh, Joe must be threatened. And then I was watching Lamar and I'm like, Joe's not threatened by this. And that's not to not not to knock Lamar. More than anything, it's to praise him for how far he's come. He did not look good. He did mm-hmm. not look good. So I definitely was shocked when they inserted him after you know the, the second half of the season to to see. And there was a lot of running, but but I do wonder because Yonda today when he started talking about how much fun he had in 2019 and it was part leading into it from that 2018 and they're like were you having fun because because you were trying to soak it up knowing that you're going to retire he's like i'm sure i reflected on that he goes but the reason why i was having fun was number one we were winning but number two because we were running so well he goes you know to set that nfl record he even i don't know if you remember when eric weddell first got to the Ravens, he came into the press conference and he had this big clap and he's like, let's get go. I had never seen Yonda like that before because he doesn't like the spotlight. When he started talking about running the ball, he did, he clapped and he's like, man, this is making me want to get out there right now. And I'm like, oh, "Like, this is so not the Yonda we get to see very often, he's so low key. But I, I do agree with you, I'm bringing this all back to you saying you wondered if he came back partly because Lamar it wouldn't shock me because he clearly has so much fun running the ball. He said that you know the defenders always get to pin their ear backs when you pass so often. This is a passing league. He goes, but for us to go back and attack them and dictate to them, he's like, that is why I had so much fun this, this last year and even part of 2018.
2: It really is. For an offensive lineman, that's the difference between playing offense and playing defense. Pass blocking, you're effectively playing defense as an offensive lineman right, and run blocking, you're playing offense. And, you know, Yanda's whole game, his whole career has been getting these level two blocks and and you're getting downfield. I mean, he's got to love that. He he just just has to love that, opening the gate on the power runs. I mean, uh, just all those things he did. Made his eighth Pro Bowl this year, uh, actually last year now in 2019. Um, All of the offensive line play was simplified by Jackson's presence, which is yet another reason why Mm -hmm. I would have hoped Marshall would be back, but it was simplified for the tackles. And I've talked about that a lot on the show, so I won't do it again right now, but it's also simplified for for the inside players as well, because they're able to get more cleanly on and off their double teams as the, the ball is delayed through the mesh. So that, that, that mesh handoff is not done at full speed. And Ingram knows just how to delay through it and then accelerate out of it uh, with or without the football. But when they do run downhill, run to the inside, have a lot of time to set up and move those players off the double team and then to get off those blocks and move up, climb to level two and and and, uh, and make a combination. So it's really a very fun system for the offensive lineman, I'm sure, to play in and get to make their blocks with those edge defenders also fairly well frozen.
4: Yeah, and I, and I mean, and again, I don't want to downplay Yonda. I mean, he's, he's irreplaceable one thing that does give me some hope is what you're saying with with Lamar that he does simplify it so whoever is put into that spot if it's been powers there is going to be um Lamar provides a little bit of of grace almost where it's like you know he can make up for for some mistakes or make it even you know erase some of those mistakes so that is one thing that I'm I'm just kind of like you know crossing my fingers that because it is although you know, Lamar needs the protection. I mean, my goodness, if he goes down, the Ravens are, are in trouble. Um, but but it, it's like you said, he does. I think, I've said this before in your show, that I think that if you're playing at a, you know, B level, then then Lamar Jackson can make you look like you're playing at a B plus level. And so that's my hope with whoever uh, is, is is gets that right guard job.
2: Yeah, looking at the grades this year, I'd say the difference is even more than that, Sarah. Really? That, that, what would you or, do? Oh, I think Orlando Brown at right tackle probably had a, a B-minus season that graded out as an A-minus season because of, of...
4: So a full just letter a, grade.
2: Yeah, I, I I would say. I mean, wow. his job is so simplified in terms of what he has to do when he can leave an edge defender. So both tackles really benefited, but but Brown... More so because it it magnified his strength against the Bull Rush, and it also allowed him to make a very simple set of run blocks. So I, I, I don't want to go into that too much. This is a Marshall Yanda show, but there's only one other thing I really want to reflect on from 2018, and that's the big play at Seattle. There are two plays that that, that are worth talking about from the season, at least, that are specific. But the fourth and two versus Seattle, of course, was a turning point for the season. Uh, in a lot of ways, there are other plays in that game. Very big game. I mean, Peter's interception, run back, and the missed field goal that, that Seattle had. But that fourth and two game, the game was tied at at thirteen, uh, and the Ravens could have gone up by three. Harbaugh took the offense off the field. Lamar, he asked Lamar, "Do you want to go for it?" And Lamar goes, "Hell yeah, coach, mm-hmm. I want to go for it." And and then he turned to Yanda and said, "Do you want to go for it?" And so then the the totem pole of order <laughs> became very clear. <laughs> yeah. But what I thought was cool about that is Yanda pushed well, really that were... decision. Go ahead.
4: Oh, sorry. I'll let you finish. Sorry, I I, I thought you would finish. Go
2: ahead. I, I, but the, Yanda pushed that decision kind of back to to Jackson and said, you know, hell yeah, if you want to go for it, I want to go for it. And and that's the kind of leadership from from behind or leadership, you know, mm-hmm. however you want to call it. You know, he led by following in that instance. And and I I I. I Never saw a better instance of what I appreciated Yonda for than that exact moment.
4: That might go down as my favorite non-playoff moment um, with within the Ravens. I love that moment. one one thing I was going to add is when when um, Lamar had turned back and asked Yonda, uh, the Ravens TV production crew, had, you know, their boom bikes there, boom mics there. And you could, the way Yonda responded, <laughs> reminded me his laugh when he said it, when he was saying, yes, let's go for it. His laugh reminded me of the Joker, like, and in, like <laughs> from, from Batman, that it was like he and that, and, and p- players talk about it all the time, that they like, there's this switch. There's so many of these NFL players that are like the nicest teddy bears that you'll ever meet. And then they get into the game and they switch. And like that was Yonda in that moment where I feel like he was like in this Joker, um like psychotic, like I'm I'm out for blood. Like, let's go in there and let's you know push them around and let's convert this fourth and let's go get this touchdown and let's win this game. Like it was just like, you know, you just go into a whole different mental attitude, and it was it would to me, I was just like the jokers back there laughing wanting to wreak havoc on, on his opponent.
2: Yeah. Uh, went in there with the heaviest personnel group. You can ever really run zero zero 32, as I would call it, but they had six offensive linemen on the field. I guess they used to have a loaded not out there, but three tight ends. They, you know, they had Jackson as the, the lone back. They had Ricard in, I guess is next to next, next to him somehow. And, you know, they, they just ran power, you know, uh, sorry, QB power. And it just was really mm-hmm. unstoppable. the, 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 the Seattle didn't have nearly the person enough big personnel to to impede them. And then Lamar got into level two and, and ran through a tackle to, to, to go for the touchdown. Just a great moment. The other one I wanted to bring up was the third and one on the final drive against San Francisco. So the Ravens get the ball back with 629 yeah. to go in that game. And they had two big plays. The first was a fourth and one uh, earlier in the drive, yeah. which they converted. And the second one was a third and one. And on that second one... Uh, Yanda pulled from right to left. He didn't do too much pulling, by the way, in 2019. he greatly reduced role. was mostly on the front end or the the right-handed side of that power run game. He was opening the gate, but he pulled on this play. And all he did, he didn't really have anybody to block, but what he did do is throw his body into an open hole so that a player in level two, and it was a safety, I believe, couldn't step into that and make the tackle. So he didn't actually make the block himself, but Jackson, knew just what would to do, which was to basically fall on top of Yanda and get the first down, and he did. And and Yanda's underneath him, and he's patting him on the helmet, saying, "Great Jesus. play.
4: <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna bring that one up. Um, we were gonna get into like the, you know things that we'll always remember. That one is it. It's like imprinted on my mind where he is stuck underneath the pile. If I mean, this football players that are used to it. If I were underneath the pile like that, I'd be freaking out. But he's just down there again. It just he's just laughing and patting him on the head, and it's just like I love these two. Their their chemistry, I, Yanda and and Lamar. Like yeah, he's just <laughs> patting him on the back. Good job, kid. You got the first down. And he's throwing his body around. To your point, like like he's a kid. Like he's this young spring chicken, and not like this thirty five year old who's been doing it for years. It was it was a great moment.
3: It's,
2: it's everyone on the Ravens, I think, really loves Lamar as a, you know, a talented leader. And the and Ravens are very lucky because the best leadership comes from the best players. So you want a Yonda or a Suggs or a um, Lamar Jackson to be your leader rather than a player who's not as good. And the, and the Orioles, unfortunately, were in that position for years with Rick Sutcliffe. Here, you know, a, a kind of a not very good pitcher who was a leader in the clubhouse is not the situation you want. you 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 really mm-hmm. want to have it be a great player. so it was it was a good situation right. with Lamar. and he, Yanda, as much as anyone, he completely deserves to to, to, to be this way, He's extraordinarily proud of Lamar's growth. I mean, just extraordinarily proud clearly of the the steps he took of his of his uh, you know, how maybe he contributed. To that growth in some way I'm sure you know he's he's like almost like a proud father to Lamar in some way
4: right I felt that same way too. big brother father father type figure Um, and I yeah I think you said it really well where he's leading him from behind Um, I think that was a really good way to put it. All right, well, I,
2: I, I wanted to talk about a few things that I'll always remember about Yana. Yeah, we've hit on some of these as we go through the years, but I just want to kind of go through these and, and chime in whenever you you feel like it. As always, Sarah, we talked about the combination blocks. That's something I will always attribute to Marshall Yanda. In fact, I used to say, I hope when he makes his move to the podium, he makes a combination block on his, you know, the person he introduces him and the commissioner or whoever it might be yeah. that's around to to try and make sure he, uh, he, he gets to the podium appropriately. But I, I am now very convinced, particularly after this season, the rushing record is another big feather in Yanda's cap that he'll easily be a uh, a uh, inductee in Canton, whether or not that's on the first ballot is another matter, but but there is a good chance of that.
4: Well, they were talking today, like it's it's its first ballot, but um, but yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, got um, your Super Bowl win you've played at a high level at several positions um and then to be a massive reason of why you set an NFL record that had lasted how many years
2: since seventy eight. So since the first year of the sixteen game season, and the sixteen game season, by the way, may go away, and this will this will be entrenched for all
4: time. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. So so, well, like around forty years, and then maybe for all time. I mean, it's 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 incredible. Uh, very good talking point for Hall of Fame credentials.
2: Uh, another thing about Yanda was what a great bailout player he was as a pass blocker. So what I mean by that is, oftentimes a, a guard in particular will end up not with a clear blocking assignment because a tackle is fanned out on the right side, and the center has a, a guy across his face, perhaps a defensive tackle, and he's left without an assignment. Yanda, one of the best ever, at realizing who needed help and going in the correct dis- direction, whether that was to move to center or to move to right tackle to try and help him. In particular, Hurst, at the beginning of 2018, got a tremendous amount of help from Yanda in terms of bailout blocks when he was giving ground in the pocket uh, to the, to a bull rush. And uh, it's, it's a great feeling to have Marshall Yanda come off that edge and knock your guy on the ground when you're having a little trouble in getting backed up.
4: Right. A great for where the pressure was coming from, and and like you said, he knew how to where where to go help and and where to go pick up blocks and 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 he's always hunting. He's always hunting. He's always looking for somebody to hit. Always looking for somebody to help. Um, great bailout player is a great way to put it, Ken.
2: Yeah, they say looking for work. That's one of the things they look for, and when they when they scout young linemen, and Yanda was was doing it all the way through his career. We talked about the, the pulling success he had in the wild card game against New England. Great puller whenever he's asked to do it. Um, a, a lot of the times Grubbs was the guy who did a lot of the pulling. Uh, a lot of times that player gets the glory because he makes a really crushing block cruising through that hole. But when the, the really, they're going to find out how much they miss yard Marshall Yanda if they, if they figure out that Powers cannot maintain his spot. The way that Yanda has opening the front gate on that power run game, because not only does Yanda engage that defensive tackle and pivot his body through the hole that allows the traffic to come behind him, fullback pulling lineman, whoever it might be, and then the runner himself to go through that hole. That area has got to be kept clean and that those guys need to be able to move clearly through. Ravens have had, had trouble with linemen in the past. Mike Flynn comes to mind as a guy who would step on other linemen's feet, or Gradkowski as well would trip other linemen uh, when pulling. It's Yanda, one of the ways that he could be missed is if you know Powers cannot maintain this incredible high level of footwork that Yonda had. Yonda knew all the dance steps. He knew where his feet need to be, and he knew how to pivot through that hole very effectively. And and for my money, that's really the more important of the two jobs. We've seen Hurst, we've seen Bozeman, we've seen some other linemen of moderate talent, you know, pull effectively, but actually, you know, controlling the front side of that gate, much more significant responsibility.
4: You know, I obviously. Just coaches and people that are in the building um, at practice know uh, where Ben Powers is at, and so, and I know that you you were given a lot of hope when 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 he played. Um, what did he play at the end of the season? The, la- the
2: last week in Pittsburgh, he had a, he had a good game.
4: We, yeah, and you you felt pretty, uh, you know, heartened by that, right? Or or yes. feeling like okay, maybe okay. So so he he may be there. Regardless, though. I, I just have a feeling that the Ravens are going to go out and get a veteran um, in free agency for the interior offensive line. I mean, first of all, there's there's so many moving pieces, especially at at center, um, but but you have to have a backup plan. You can't put you, – you hope for the best and you do everything you can uh, to get powers ready, but, I mean, yesterday there was um, an NFL Network report that linked – the Ravens to Osemli again, which which mm-hmm. kind of surprised me. I don't know how healthy he is. I know he had shoulder surgery. Um, I think back in October, um, so may- maybe he'll yeah, That be ready. was against the Jets'
2: um, wishes. I don't know if you remember that. That was
4: against the Jets' wishes. That's yes. right. There was a whole lot of drama there. Um, so yeah. So I don't know a lot of details behind that. And then um, I, there was a report yesterday um, talking about you know potentially trading um rg3 and then they weren't saying a shirt at trade but but there was a lot of trade talk for i'm gonna forget his name the guard out of um well i guess las vegas now the the raiders who's who's going into his i think seventh year or something like that so so anyway i I don't know that any of those are going to happen but but it wouldn't surprise me that the ravens go out and get themselves a veteran um to either be either start if if powers isn't ready or to be you know, just a veteran presence, but I, I think that the Ravens, I think that would be a good idea for the Ravens to do that. The Ravens have an extremely young offensive line, And I think some veteran leadership, especially in the interior, would be a good thing.
2: Yeah, it makes all kinds of sense. and and I think they probably will. they they're, they're I think they can be happy with their starters. They could be hopeful at least with the starting group. I think they're going to draft one and they're probably going to sign one and then they're going to also mm-hmm. I think also try and get a pure tackle as well so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if all those things happen before before this next year. So Assembly, yeah. you know, it, he wouldn't be a bad choice. I think he is probably past his prime clearly, but but he'd be a player who would be a, you know, a one-year prove it deal. If it works out, yeah. it'd be another great Raven signing where they sign him for a million. He comes back, plays really well for a year, goes on, wins the Ravens, a, you know, a fourth or fifth round comp pick. And, uh, you know, everything yeah. could be could be another great golden uh, move for the Ravens. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, well, it
4: could it's, be like a like a McPhee signing where you're bringing back a guy that knows what it's what it means to play like a Raven. You know who he is. You know what he can do. Um, and then maybe he plays a little bit better than you even expected. I know that McPhee played better than 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 I expected for sure. Hopefully he would last longer than McPhee. Um, but but that type of, of deal makes makes some sense.
2: Mm-hmm. I haven't heard anything by the way about what's up with McPhee. Do you have any, any information on that, whether he might be re-signed by the Ravens?
4: I haven't heard anything. My personal thought is that you know he had he had lasted, you know, pretty long into free agency last year. It wouldn't surprise me if they they wanted to, to to bring him back. I just don't think it's you know the number one priority. Um, but I don't have any solid reporting okay. on that for you. All
2: right, so they they have an opportunity to sign him now, or of course any at any point, and not lose because he's he's an own free agent. He's so he's your your doesn't count against any comp formulas to do it at this point. So yeah, they can wait. Um, but then another team could get him and and. Uh,
4: they could, but who's going to be knocking down? They weren't knocking on the door for him last year, and, and he's coming off of an injury this year. So you are playing, you are taking a risk, but I don't know how big of a risk it is.
2: I think he, he reestablished himself a little bit as a pass rusher with the year he had and, and also as an edge setter. So I think there's some value there. Maybe another team yeah. will see it. Maybe they won't. Uh, a few more things about Yonda before we get off this topic. You know one of the things I always appreciated, particularly with Flacco, was how he understood the dance steps of the quarterback sneak. And those mm-hmm. that combination was really unstoppable. Yonda knew exactly you know what his what footsteps he needed to take to uh, make the block he needed to make to make it easy for Flacco. and Flacco knew exactly how to position himself relative to Yonda to get those yards. And, and it, they were ridiculously effective at the end of uh, very Flacco's Yeah. Uh, I, I
4: always, I always felt very comfortable. If it was like fourth and one, I'm like QB sneak, everybody in the building knows it's coming. The defense knows it's coming, but it was still can't stop it. Yeah. Still and can't stop it. Uh,
2: with Flacco in 2018, they were getting two yards every run, which is a lot of yardage on a, on a quarterback sneak. And, you know, you're usually, you don't use the quarterback sneak unless it's one yard or less. You you don't usually mm-hmm. use the quarterback sneak if it's a yard and a half. But they're getting two yards every time, and and, and sometimes more. And you know that was that was really exceptional, and and a, and a function of Yanda. So uh, uh, that was cool. Uh, we talked about making other players around him better. We I don't think we need to go back to this. Here's an interesting point for for technical people. I do I do my uh, blocking grades based on a three second pass blocking standard I and mean, he's got to protect right. that cone for three seconds pff uses a two and a half second standard i'm not trying to sell you on one or the other i think they're both valid ways to measure it um but what i will say is that the difference in pressures for marshall yanda pressure events of all types is much smaller between what i have and what pff has and i'll, I'll always pretty much have more um than what it is for, say, Stanley or for other players who give up a lot of bull rush pressure. Uh, so, so it's a Marshall did a great job of protecting the cone for the entire three seconds. And and what you see in PFF in terms of the pressure events very close to what I have. I have I have just a, a tiny bit incrementally more. Um, whereas it might be double or even triple, you know, double or even two and a quarter times say as much for some other lineman. So. Uh, it, it's it's a very big difference a very big difference in the quality of the of the pass blocks that Marshall made.
4: Yeah, that's impressive. I'm I'm not a super technical person, so so you know it's hard for me to speak much more onto that. But I do get what you're saying that 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 to those grades translate well for him. To have such a small difference says a lot.
2: Yep. Uh, rarely penalized in his entire career. We talked about that early. Had three of his forty three in that first uh game that he played against Cincinnati in 2007 but uh he's had only 3 penalties in the last 3 years total. Jeez. So that's that's really amazing. I mean
4: think it I mean you think about that. I I mean you would never hear of a wide receiver only dropping 3 passes in that many years or I mean just the level we've already spoken to his consistency. That is uh, that is bananas to me. Not just for Marshall but offensive linemen the amount of consistency that they have to have in order for people not to talk poorly about them.
1: it's oh,
4: yeah. it's it's just insane to me like you can make one mistake out of i don't know 50 60 plays and people are going to be all over you so for him to have three penalties in 3 years i wish i was that consistent at anything in my life <laughs> anything it's uh, incredible
2: uh, here's the here is the the counterexample that I want to see if you uh, can come up with a good guess on. But Michael Orr, in his first five seasons in the NFL, had how many penalties would you guess? This is from 2009 to 13 when he played for the Ravens. And this is. He had
4: this so is, many false starts. It was many. Right?
2: Yes, it's correct. <laughs> he had.
4: Okay, so you're asking for his first three years? First five first
2: five. Those are the years he played in Baltimore. I do have I do happen to have I'm looking at the, the numbers he had with other teams as well, but uh but his years in Baltimore the first five.
4: Oh gosh, Ken. I don't know. Well here's you wanna I could play a dirty trick on you. Anytime I do this to my husband, he'll like over guess. And then when I give him the real answer, like he, he took out all of like all of the air in my sails. Okay. So you know I could guess like sixty to blow it out blow it out. But um I don't know how many games is that. 16 times five.
2: He played it. Played. I think he might have played all 80 games. Uh, he was close. 80 was games.
4: I don't know. 20.
2: Okay. The answer is 48. And over that period, oh my gosh. He, he and Doug Free were neck and neck. The Doug Free a tackle for Dallas for for the uh, the NFL lead in in penalties over that period. And for Marshall to have three over a three-year period. And less penalties in his career than Orr had in five seasons, uh, is is wow. just remarkable. So, uh, I mean, there's a certain amount of penalties. I mean, you just come in the in the in the course of business. False starts for an offensive lineman, but Yanda exceptionally yeah. good at avoiding them.
4: So, uh, it's impressive.
2: All right. Uh, what else? You, you mentioned this was that he really never wanted the spotlight shined on him, but he knew how to lead by example. And and I thought. It was nice that he finally took up some vo- vocal pregame responsibilities. You know, some of that, mm-hmm. like a Raven stuff but before the game that that Ray, of course, had for many years, and then Suggs had. But different kind of leader, you know, led by example, led by hard work, didn't need to lead vocally.
4: It was funny because uh, Harbaugh brought that up in the beginning of the pressure today. And he's like, hey, it was kind of nice having you kind of vocalize a little bit more this year. And he's like... He's like, well, there was nobody else. He's like, so I had to. He's like, whatever it takes, coach, whatever it takes. You know, he hated it. But what's funny is he's good at it. He's good at it. Usually people that want to avoid it, it's because they're they're like awkward and whatever. I mean, he really is commanding. He's so good at it.
2: If three players who each led very differently for the Ravens and Ray, of course, a lot of people will put down the way that he led as preaching and and it but he brought an intensity to things and a uh, just wound people up before the game at at a at a level which was very different and very interesting to 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 watch happen but it was all about intensity in, in his case with Suggs he led with his sense of humor and and you and I have both been there at practice and and you know Suggs anywhere on those three practice fields when he was in Baltimore you knew exactly where he was because He was always looking to play the clown. He drove up in the golf cart 20 minutes, or not 20 minutes, but, you know, a few minutes into practice. And it was always the big deal to ride in the passenger side of the golf cart. I know when Brandon Williams got promoted to that, it was a big deal for him. But. You know, then he'd make comments, and he'd say the funniest stuff. I mean, it's like, you know, who's making, who's helping him with this material? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he'd say the funniest stuff, and he'd say it in the middle of practice, and, you know, you could be a field and a half away, and he's, you could still hear exactly <laughs> what he's saying because it's booming right. out.
4: Very but, witty. Uh, well, it's funny. I have a couple of – I mean, I won't go too far into it, but I do remember because he, he's funny, but I do remember. I mean, it was early. I mean, I don't know. It was probably my – second or third year there I remember him coming off the field and he made fun of me for something that I'm not even gonna repeat because it's embarrassing and you know he was always cussing up the storm always swearing so uh one time later in my career I brought my son to work uh he you know he always gets come about once a year and just oh the ravens were so good to him anyway we were coming out of um the writer's office and I've got my son with me and right when we're turning the corner. Suggs is turning the corner from the other side and we like almost run into like my my son at the time he was probably like I don't know six or seven just a small little guy and like me and my son almost run right into him and we all like are like whoa and I'm thinking to myself Suggs you better not like start cussing around my son and like you know all that kind of stuff and I will never forget the image because we were so close to him because we almost hit him. My son is like looking all the way up at this just behemoth of a man. And Suggs looks down at him, and he was so nice. He's like, "Hey, little buddy, how's it going?" and my 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 son just he just he didn't even know what to say. He just was like looking at this massive human being. But I was so happy that Suggs you know reined it in for for you know, the kids. so he 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 knew how to how to do that, but you're right. he was he was so witty. So funny, always talking, the complete opposite of Marshall Yonda.
2: Yep. And, uh, when I think of Marshall Yonda leading, another thing I think of is watching the single rep system that that Joe Dallas-Andres uses in, with the offensive line positional drills. Because they break in all these segments and so they don't have a lot of time to do offensive line drills. So you think they come up with an efficient way to do a lot of them really quickly. And one way would be to have three sets of offensive linemen, each doing the same drill at the same time. But Dallas Sanders really likes to run it where one group of two linemen are practicing a combination block or practicing how they'll move, and sometimes three. But it's it's just a one group he wants to run one rep at a time. And Yanda really was not often involved in those reps, but I often remember him just standing off to the side next to a young player, you know, kind of helping him view through a different lens how to look at that rep and what was going on and and just very impressive to watch that but uh you know joe dallas very much an old school offensive line coach who I, you know yeah. just wanted to see every rep himself
4: he's getting results too so i like he, it
2: he sure is he sure is well that's those are most of the things i can remember is there anything else you'd you'd point out about marshall that we haven't we haven't hit on so far
4: no, I mean, I just, I mean, I just think that what just really hit me today, and I've already hit on it, is that um, it it takes work to be great. And he was the one that brought the phrase "embrace the grind" to the Ravens. He, you know, he had seen it in, in Iowa when he was working out there. And and I mean, we just hit. I mean, just this junior football college player. Who's benched for 16 games, doesn't make his first Pro Bowl until his fifth year, did fifth we year. say? Yep. Um, went through so much physical pain, and it just, it just, you know, reminds me that you know, it's just an inspiring story to me that if you're ever doubting yourself or don't think you're up to the task, that that grinding and hard work and doing things the right way. Really does go a long way. And we've hit on some other players like Jared Gaither, um, who
3: didn't who do that <laughs> had,
4: was, who didn't do that? And he was so much more physically talented. yes. so so I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's just an inspiring story to me that this this is how you became a Hall of Fame of Hall of Fame player. It was by working and grinding, and that just makes me want to do that so much more. Like I just want to go and grind and work. And go out and accomplish my goals and get it done. And he just, again, he just, his career, his pressure today, so inspiring. And I think I just count myself lucky to have been able to witness his entire career, every single snap. Excellent player that the Ravens can forever look back on and say, we drafted him. He was here the whole time. He is a Raven.
2: Yeah, just, I, I, I couldn't say it any better, but I feel the same sort of privilege to have watched every snap of his Hall of Fame career. And uh, it, it was an absolute pleasure, uh, you know, looking at it, going it back and forth. And and one of the things that can be kind of difficult with offensive linemen is you're not sure about what grade to give. And you have to watch the same play about six or seven times sometimes when a player doesn't quite make the block right. But with Yonda, so few blocks really required that. Uh, You know what? You know, Maureen is sitting there thinking, saying, "Yana gets a one," and you know, it goes (laughs) goes very quickly grading for him relative to all the other players that have that have played next to him over the years, and it's just been a pleasure to watch. All right, I think we talked a little bit about what's going on next season in 2020, so let's not revisit that again. But Sarah, thank you very much for coming on again. I know that we did this on short order. Obviously, we just learned the news yesterday appreciate you uh you know so quickly being able to come on and uh, and do this uh where can people find your work your tweets are just terrific i've been enjoying those in fact i have a technical question i want you to ask you about a tweet after we get off the air here but what's the uh <laughs> where, where can they find your, your material
4: so i'm sg ellison at sg ellison on twitter uh that's that's basically where i'm at and um you know, the, the off season always goes on, as you as you know, Ken. So so it's it's a slower time, but it's going to get it's going to pick up big time next week. Big time. So, you know, I'll definitely be commenting and sharing news and sharing opinions on uh, all the free agency moves that that are uh, sure to go down next week.
2: All right. That'll be a lot of fun, and I'm sure we uh, we probably will try and get together for maybe one more uh, episode if we can. Maybe talk about the sure. first week of free agency if you'd like to do that and and uh, have a little bit of retrospective on the, on the moves around the league.
4: That'd be great. Sure. Okay.
2: All right. Outstanding. Just a, always a pleasure, Sarah. Uh, for those other folks who are listening to this and want to do a film study short, we're looking for some other non-intimidating material. Obviously, this is a very long episode, but I'm looking to record – 20- and 30-minute episodes with people who would like to present a study. In particular, if you've layered on new graded information or new analysis of your own, love to have you come explain it on the show. I'll, I'll ask some probing questions to try and understand what it is you're trying to do there. And uh, and hopefully we'll have a lot of fun and expose your material to a broader audience. Thanks for listening again. Join, I hope you join us next time on Film Study. birdland sports for fans
3: by fans find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com nobody builds 5g like verizon builds 5g because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in america and the more you do with 5g the more building it right matters the more your network matters the more verizon engineers going the extra mile matters it's us pushing us it's Verizon. Versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics Second Half 2020 U.S. Report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.